0: Welcome to Brain Talk, a podcast about the latest thinking and research in neurology with a specific focus on epilepsy and other seizure-like disorders. Today's episode features Stratus's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Jeremy Slater, and Director of Tampa General Hospital's Comprehensive Epilepsy Program and Neurology Professor at the University of South Florida, Dr. Celine Bembadis. Dr. Slater and Dr. Bembedis will discuss the different types of EEG testing available and some of the factors you should consider when determining when to use each test. Let's take a listen.
1: The quality of studies has obviously substantially improved. At this point, the average neurologist, general neurologist is gonna come in, he's assessing a patient who we think may or may not have epilepsy and has the choices of a routine EEG, a longer term EEG, say something up to six, eight hours, 24 or greater hours of EEG, and at least the way the codes are written, with and without video, um, and then there's inpatient versus outpatient, and the first thing he's gonna say is, well, which one do I pick? Which is the, when do I pick which study for which patient? So how would you go about advising them?
2: Okay, so first let's address the duration. Okay. A routine EEG, as you know, is 20, 30 minutes. And the purpose of that is just to capture interrectal discharges. Mm-hmm. And as we know, the yield of one single routine EEG, the book say, for epilepsy is about 50%. If you repeat it, you go to 70%, 80%. And when you do five routine EEGs, the book says, you have about a 90% chance of capturing interrectal discharges. So that's, that's one purpose. First of all, there is also a practical matter right now, and I have learned that recently, is that if I order an ambulatory EEG no matter what kind, or for that matter, inpatient EEG video, many insurance require that the patient have a routine first. So I, I have no problem with starting with a routine EEG. That's standard of care, it's inexpensive, it's the default.
1: As long as, long As long as you brought that up, if you viewed it strictly from your medical standpoint, do you always need a routine EEG before you order a, a no. more prolonged study? No,
2: absolutely not. As usual, there's a disconnect between what insurance wants and what is common sense. No, absolutely not. It's not medically, medically necessary to have a routine EEG. No.
1: Say it, And say I'm sure it. you
2: agree. I know you agree.
1: <laughs> I'm stunned. I'm stunned by this. It's um,
2: logical. I understand the viewpoint of the insurance and for a general neurology in a rural area, to begin with a routine EEG, again, inexpensive, easy to do, nothing wrong with that. But is it needed always? No.
1: So, and just going into the weeds slightly on this, I've seen the literature, as you mentioned, for three, four, five EEGs progressively increasing your ability to detect interictal discharges. Um, We're also aware of the literature that says you're going to see more spikes depending on the epilepsy during sleep than you are when the patient's awake. Um, Even if you're doing five routine EEGs over time and they're all awake and drowsy, are you losing anything compared? I always wondered about that in terms of the increased frequency of detection because if you're not recording their sleep, how are they getting up to 90%?
2: Well, no, you really can't, but as you know, Uh, ideally a routine EEG should include sleep. It doesn't always, but we try. We want to, sleep deprivation and so forth. Right now, we are just talking about using ambulatory EEG as a long routine EEG, basically, to increase the yield for interrectal discharges. So for that, for that purpose, which for many general neurologists is the purpose of EEG, there Mm -hmm. is no need for video. Now, how long should we do it? 24 hours, by my math, is equivalent to About 70 routine EEGs. So that's pretty good. (laughs) Like doing 70 routine EEGs. Not bad. So if the purpose of the general neurologist is this guy may be having seizures. I want to capture interrectal EEG. The routine EEG is too short or didn't. It was normal. For this purpose, I think 24 hour, no video is acceptable. Because the purpose is to capture interrectal discharges. Fair enough. That's entirely different from what we will talk about in a little bit, which is ambulatory EEG video to capture an episode. That's entirely different. And those two scenarios have to be separated. What is the general neurologist's goal? What is he trying to do?
1: So moving to that point, if the goal is to confirm a diagnosis, the patient is complaining about these various events, um, they brought in their cell phone video, which i I know you value highly um and it doesn't clearly confirm it one direction or the other in your mind and we can you can you can talk about the value of cell phone video if you like uh that's the point where you're going to say, "I need to capture a clinical event, and then you're saying we have to use a uh, prolonged ambulatory or inpatient twenty four hour plus video e e g
2: yes, as long as The events are realistically frequent enough that we will capture one in a few days. And and that's really the key.
1: So if if I try to pin you down and I say, you know, I've got, you know, once a week, twice a week, twice a month, at what point do I say it's worth it?
2: Oftentimes, first of all, you ask the patients and the family, and they will know. I ask them, do you think if we bring you in or do a home for four days, what are my chances that I'm going to get your episode? And they usually was, oh yeah, you'll get, or Meh. There's also an issue of, is the patient on medications or not? Mm-hmm. Because off medication, if we think it's epilepsy, the yield is higher, but that requires inpatient. So you can, you can at least make obvious scenarios in your general neurology office, he's evaluated a patient who had a total of three episodes and the last one was five months ago, or two months ago, that one we are not realistically going to capture an episode, whether it's inpatient or ambulatory. So that one doesn't really need that, the yield is gonna be very, very low. But if the patient, to to quote your scenario, has episodes even once a week, on meds for example then the yield of capturing an episode is higher it's it's realistic and that's when the video becomes valuable because i want to record an episode
1: shifting gears slightly because and to ask you about a, a question about a topic that i i know you're passionate about the average general neurologist will tend to look a little bit annoyed when the patient insists on showing them their cell phone video of the Really? Many of them do. They're like, I, you know, I just I want to see what the EEG go. How would what well, how would you address a neurologist who's somewhat skeptical of those cell phone videos?
2: Any neurologist who would rather see the EEG than the video does not have a lot of experience with seizure management. Because okay. most of us who do this all the time. If there is an event, I want the video. Um I would explain to them just that and maybe because, I don't know, maybe it's because video it's kind of a gadget and, and uh, ideally we want both. We want the EEG during the episode and the video, but I think those cell phone videos are amazing and I would, there's already one paper published, we're working on a smaller one, but same idea, do the video on the cell phone predict the eventual diagnosis in the EMU and the answer is yes. So. But, but of course, it's only as good as the person who interprets them. So I think, as you know, general neurologists are not as used as we are at seeing episodes. So for them, sure, the video maybe is not as valuable, but for us, it's everything.
1: So the next question that follows, just, just to clarify it for the general neurologist, is there's increasing prominence, at least, in terms of, of publications and talks at national meetings, which hopefully will resume at some point in the future, Mm -hmm. um, about ambulatory EEG in a way, at least from my standpoint, wasn't seen five or 10 years ago. Um, If I'm the general neurologist and I say, okay, I've got the options for both. I've got an EMU nearby that's got uh, inpatient beds available. I've got the outpatient service. Um, Just in terms of my own decision making, Versus, I mean, you could actually talk about formal indications, but how should they, how do you think they should be deciding where the patient needs to go?
2: Well, there are a couple of, uh, again, I'll start with the obvious scenarios. So the obvious scenario is the, the patient is on three anti medications. We want to evaluate the patient for surgery, we want to record seizures. There may be twice a month on meds. I'm gonna decrease the meds, that patient needs to go into the monitoring unit, inpatient, because I'm gonna decrease his meds and needs to have an IV, so we can give him meds. That's one obvious scenario. One of the obvious outpatient scenario is, the patient is having very frequent event, multiple a day, Mm -hmm. so I don't need to reduce medication, and then you can decide whether you need video or not. If there is something to be seen on video, jerking, shaking, unresponsive video, if it's purely subjective, dizziness, deja vu, panic attack, then no video is okay. So you really have to tailor it to what you are looking for.
1: We've talked about the value of video with the EEG. Um, there have been patients from time to time who say, uh, The video is fine, I don't care, but I don't want you recording the audio. And it's because of privacy issues. I, maybe they're discussing their next bank robbery. I, <laughs> I don't know what the plan is. But yes, could you, could you at least briefly touch on the value that audio adds to the overall recording?
2: So I, I, I even object to the phrasing of adding value to me. And the reason that I haven't mentioned audio is that it's in it, it's part of it. When I say every time I use the word video, it includes audio for the same reason that when I turn on the news, I also want audio. Or if I go to see a movie, I expect audio. When I say video, it's part of it. When I FaceTime with my daughter, it's not an option. Are we gonna FaceTime without, without sound today? Hmm. no. If we say we're FaceTiming, it's with audio. Video includes audio. Now, if there is one patient out of 3,000 who has an issue because of their upcoming bank robbery, as you say, I now I'll be flexible but that should be an exception audio is included in the word video
1: okay the there are specific obviously in your mind there's specific things the audio if you take the audio away what am I losing from from that interaction
2: and and again I'm referring to only when there is an episode to be seen. Otherwise, I don't need no audio, like I don't need video either. But right. if, I, if there is video, it's because there is an event. If there is an event, I want the sound. As you know, convulsive seizures make a very distinct, distinct sound. But even minor motor seizure, when people have chronic jerking, you hear how they bang on something. When people have mouth automatisms, you can hear chewing. It's just part of it, like it's part of FaceTime or the news, or the next movie you are going to go see. It's just part of the movie. It's not an option.
1: Fair enough.
0: This podcast was brought to you by Stratus, the leading provider of ambulatory in-home video EEG testing. For more information about Stratus, please visit our website at www.stratusneuro.com.